Hello, everybody. Hi. <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to say no. something. You're good. You weren't. It was fine. You could have. You did. <laughs> you had one-eighth of a beer. <laughs> this is Hashtag Science. It's a podcast about science and drinking today. You've got... I've got this single hop Founders Mosaic Promise TM, I guess. You're drinking some cherry Tart cherry. Tart cherry thing from North Coast. I am your host, Jason Skribulis. I'm joined by Kellen Carlson. Hello. Now, yeah, I was where you were supposed to say something. Okay. I got it. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, Matt is, is still unable to be with us. He is still dealing with... Uh, being away from home for from the hurricane in Florida last weekend, so uh, thoughts go out to everybody affected by that. I know we had people that hunkered down and had other people that uh, had to evacuate, so we know that everybody's safe. We miss Matt. Matt needs to come back. Please, Please come God, back. Matt, come back. If if you're actually listening to your own goddamn show, come back. Matt, I'm staying up past my bedtime, <laughs> filling your it's shoes. It's true. It's nine. Right now. It's almost nine thirty. Uh, yeah. So because of that, sorry about the episode being late. I mean, life first. But hopefully soon we'll get back to a good routine. Um, we'll definitely have an episode out on time or relatively on time uh, next time. So we'll be good to go there. Uh, it's going to be another shorter one. Uh, it's been a hell of a couple of weeks trying to get back into the new school year for both of us. Being mm-hmm. you're, you're in your last year teaching. I'm a graduate student of one of the most senior graduate students and one that's not getting ready to graduate. So I got a lot of... You're in charge of uh, a lot of kids. They're uh, not kids. They're Sorry. kids. Well. They're children's. So we're gonna take some lighthearted stuff today. Um, first up, what we've got here is a newish paper out of uh, Australia, where Port Jackson sharks come back to the same. Lagoon, in the same area where they were, the same breeding ground, and they hang out with same, uh, in the same individuals year after year because they stay the same size and they stay the same, the same individuals, which is kind of crazy, right? Yeah, I love that thought. Like, this is one thing I always try and teach my students in the classroom because I I have this love of sharks, maybe from my own research, but. Just trying to get them to understand that sharks aren't really um, these just killers, cold-blooded or cold-hearted killers yes. that are portrayed in the media. Thank you, Stephen. Yes. For for making that an issue. I know you didn't mean to, and you do regret it later. But sharks are what? What? Oh, I thought you were looking at me. And I was no. Like, Did I say something wrong? No. Oh, okay. But. <laughs> It's great to see that, you know, people are trying to shed light onto sharks and show that um, they do have, there's more to them than just these ruthless killers. Yeah. 
Um, and I was reading up because this article also had a little link that took you back to another study done on the same um, species where they even found that these sharks have their own distinct personalities. Yeah. Like, you kind of don't think about fish in general having personalities and, like, individual personalities. Like, they have behaviors that you, when you're an aquarist, you kind of pay attention to what kinds of fish are with others. And so it kind of, it's seeming like even more than that, they're, they're extending it to actual, like, yo, this fish is just a dickhead. Or, <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh man, I don't want to hang out with him. He's an actual jerk. Yeah, a jerk fish. Um, but it's cool. They ch- they tag these sharks for two years. Um, they migrate from, uh, I don't New South Wales in Australia to Tasmania. I don't. That's relatively far. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Port Jackson sharks are relatively small species. Um. They hang out with the same individuals, which they're the same size, they're the same... Gender. The the same gender every year, which is kind of crazy. Like, we've known that, like, some species of sharks, uh, like nurse sharks, will congregate and uh, have huge dens, uh, especially in uh, especially in Florida, near the, the outside reefs. Um, sand tiger sharks will migrate all the way to some place in like Lebanon in the Mediterranean where they'll breed every year which you can see a sand tiger shark fucking in Florida so that's a hell of a swim but yeah it's kind of cool that you can just see that they just go to the same place year after year and hang out with the same people year after year kind of like they're just having a reunion yeah it's a shark reunion. <laughs> I do wonder, too, because they are hanging out with sharks that are close to the same size. In the other study, it was talking about how um, they find, like, personality for sharks is kind of dependent on size. So braver sharks and sharks that are less stressed are larger, and smaller sharks are not so brave and are more stressed out. So I wonder if that's kind of one reason why sharks group together the way they do. Um but I think it's cool. Yeah. I I liked this because this reminded me of a book I read last year called Devil's Teeth. Um, but it was about a reporter who actually went um, over to California to the Farallon Islands and studied great white sharks. And through her interactions with the great white sharks, she still found that some of the sharks, because they came back year after year, also kind of had distinct personalities. And she really got attached to them. And it kind of became a calling for her to kind of just advocate for the sharks. So it's cool to see even like across species that seems like there's these personalities developing and it just people need to take time to get to know them a little bit more. Sure. And it's kind of, it's strange in animals for, especially stuff that's like not hyper intelligent, like a mammal or bird where they have long-term relationships but you don't really see long-term non-mating interactions in anything else like that like Mm -hmm. you have fish that will be mating pairs for their whole life but they're not i mean that's that's for fitness that's not for 
whatever they do, whatever these sharks do this for. So it's kind of interesting. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that. Hopefully, more cool research like this is done on different species of sharks. Especially, I would be more interested to see what would happen in a shark that's more open water but schools, kind of like a blue shark or something. Yeah, that would be interesting. Like they basically pack hunt, but, I mean, is that just because it's easier to get larger prey or is it they're attached to each other in some way? Who knows? I don't know how you could test that with radio tagging because they're already in a school like yeah i don't know yeah it'd be interesting what was the they did some use some sort of matrix or something to compare it what was it the social social networking yeah behaviors so i wonder you know what criteria they use for that um and how that can apply to other species yeah i mean they probably just used stuff for people (laughs) Like, how do you use Facebook? Sharks are people too. What what is the what is the shark version of Facebook? What is the name of it? Sharkbook. I mean, they they they, they still have faces, but it's not it's not Facebook. It's Finbook. Okay, Finbook. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll allow it. You'd recognize a shark more by their dorsal fin than anything else, right? It's true. Yeah. The Finbook. Uh, the Finbook. Perfect. That's that's about it. For sharks, I think. Yeah, that's it. They're super cute. Poor Jackson sharks are cute. This picture on I fucking love science is... He looks like he's saying, just give me a hug. Yeah. Good stuff. Alright, what's our next one? I'm going to shift from sharks to space. Ooh, space. So, today is the 14th, the 15th of September... Of 2017, or whenever the fuck you listen to this, uh, will be the last day of the Cassini mission, which is a, a probe that was shot out, what, 20 years ago? 30 years ago? Like a hell of a long time ago. Um, it, over its 13 year mission around the system. Yeah, so this probe has been. 2004. Basically orbiting Jupiter, not Jupiter, Saturn. Good lord. It's been, like I said, it's been a fucking day. Uh, Saturn, and has been kind of flying by the largest moon, Titan, uh, once every other month, something crazy like that, 127 times it looked at that moon, and it's been collecting, uh, uh, pictures and other, uh, data looking for, uh, signs of, uh, possibly life. Uh, especially on one of the other moons, uh, Encelad- Enceladus. I forget how to say it from last time we talked about that moon. Um, but it's going to have to end its mission. So what they're doing is instead of possibly contaminating Enceladus with uh, Earth microorganisms, they're going to crash it into Saturn to burn it up. <laughs> they, they don't want to uh, contaminate the best chance one of the best chances in saturn for life outside earth with our dumb earth life abientos cassini <laughs> it's, i like how they named it the kiss of death it's kind of like you have served your purpose now you're going out with a bang yeah um but i mean cassini's done a lot of cool things i don't i 
don't think I've caught up on your podcast enough to know what you guys said about Cassini so far. But I do now know Cassini's shed a lot of light on Titan and Titan's atmosphere um, or conditions and kind of how it's really cool to think that what Titan's conditions are now is kind of like what Earth's conditions were pre-life. Um, and so we've been able to get a lot of data from Titan and then even, I, again, I don't know if I'm yeah, saying it. Enceladus, uh, is basically an ice moon, but beneath that is a very warm ocean with a lot of hydrothermal activity. So it's, it's very, it's relatively warm and kind of the incubator conditions that we think happen on earth as a, in, in the, in the ocean. So. Stuff like that. It's kind of cool. Um, not a whole much no. more. To I was them. reading about the Enceladus, too. Um, it shoots up these icy particles from surface jets, mm-hmm. and it forms these tower plumes that are, like, um, I don't know, three times taller than um, Enceladus itself. And those icy particles are actually what's helping feed Saturn's... Um, rings yeah so i think that's really cool too so well one of one of the closest pictures of saturn's rings came out a couple of days ago uh we're gonna have like 12 more years of data coming because that's how data in space works space travel (laughs) yeah there's a thing called speed of light yep (laughs) that we gotta deal with gotta wait a little bit so they're already doing uh a lot of work. They're already thinking about another uh, mission to the Saturn system. They're going to be analyzing pictures and data for many, many more years uh, from this mission. So they've they done good, and hopefully we find something cool, right? Yeah. It's good stuff. We'll have to play a little send-off music as Cassini <laughs> makes its its <laughs> grand finale. <laughs> Gun salute. That's about it. Yeah. Mm hmm. Cassini. It was a cool thing. Sad it's over, but it's gotta be. But what a fitting end. I mean, a a 13 year space mission is no joke. It's, it's, It's pretty rare that something like that will actually be. One happened to happen well. So. <laughs> Stupid cat. Cat misstep. So next, we've got a, something that you'll probably want me to look into and build. Yes, please. <laughs> um, so Jason found this, but um, I feel like this might be more applicable to me. Um, so this gentleman... Um, built a voice tracking licorice launching catapult. So, you know, if you are ever in the need or have the desire for some delicious licorice. And don't want to stand up and go get it. You just have this little robot shoot it at you. Yep. So this video is definitely going in our show notes, but I like that this article shits on them for using red vines because they're not great. They are great, though. Twizzlers. Okay, so Twizzlers are amazing. (laughs) 
But red vines are also amazing in how practical or the multiple uses of red vines because it's not just a, a, a licorice. It is also a straw for sodas, <laughs> which is also delicious. So it's like you are getting your soda and then you get to eat your straw, which... If we used red vines, we could reduce our plastic pollution, Jason. Instead of a straw, <laughs> you use a red vine. I was and like, then well, how, what, I'm making how this, are you getting there? <laughs> okay, I guess I had to make the connection. But then you get to eat your straw after using your straw. That's true. Instead of throwing it away. So, you know, red vines aren't the, the worst. They're not the worst. I love it because he just tells the robot, you know, hey, I want licorice. And it flings it to him. I do wonder what the range is, though. That The video or the gif at the top makes it seem like it's at least six feet. But so if he were, to, if he were to change his position, um, yeah. would the robot have to track him and get into a certain position to be able to launch it correctly? Or can it, it vary its... I think it only varies at, like, what direction. Okay. So... Which, hey man, baby steps. Baby steps. Okay, so my <laughs> expectation for you now. Put it on a Roomba. Got it. Mm, I was going to say like a drone that I could voice activate and it would come fly over and give me my red vines or my Twizzlers. You'd want a Roomba that was cleaning and multitasking. Mm, that's true. And okay. it would shoot it straight up into the air. It would come to you and shoot it up so you could grab it. You would have to develop some sort of mm, housing system so that... Oh, yeah. As the Roomba does not... So the Roomba doesn't contaminate my Twizzlers. Of course. Perfect. Of course. Yeah, it's a it's a dumb thing. Uh, Hackaday, that website, has a lot of crazy projects that they, they post. It's usually stuff that's useless, like this Red Vines launching machine, but it's also kind of a testament to, like, yo... He figured out how to build a robot that could track where his voice is and basically aim a red vine at him. So, hey man, whatever. I, there's <laughs> just one more pondering thought I have it too is in the video, the robot aims and he catches it just perfectly. How many takes? How many takes <laughs> did it take to do that? Because it is a beautiful, beautiful scene of man being united with Twizzler. I mean, this is probably after the thousands that didn't actually fling it well. Yeah. So. Such a waste. I hope he still ate them. I would. 50 second rule. Yeah, it's five second rule. Come on. You can get over there fast enough. I, I, would, I, I really don't care if it falls on the floor. I don't <laughs> care how long it's been there. I'll eat it. We have cats. It's fine. That's how it works. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of human ingenuity... And food. Terrible segue into squirrels. How about speaking of food? Yeah. So this group, I already forget, UC Berkeley, um, set out uh, different patterns and sizes of nuts for uh, western squirrels. They gave squirrel a nut, tracked where it hit it, and kept doing that, basically. Um, where they would sort by size. And species. And species, which is by size. Okay, yeah, yeah. But 
squirrels apparently sort things like kind of like people with uh, certain certain types of data like the example this article uses is a hundred books randomly on a shelf you don't really remember where you put every single book but if you organize it by what type of book they are so they're organizing what type of nut is there and putting them in different places so I forget where they what they actually did. So they had four different species of nut. They had almonds, hazelnuts, pecans, and walnuts. They gave the nuts in a mixed order, but no uh, species was given twice in a row. Scientists followed these squirrels, recorded their GPS, and they did it again. Um, they kept doing that. Uh, then they did a second experiment where every time a squirrel hit a nut, the experimenters gave out the next nut from the spot where they hit it. So they would keep switching the location of where the nuts came from. That's where they started to blow up and not be able to sort things. If you put one nut in one spot, they would take it to a certain place. But if you kept changing the location, they kind of got scattered. So, I mean, it's still cool that they can kind of plan for the worst. Squirrel's the ultimate prepper. I mean, it's kind of... It's more organized than my office is, so... Oh, gosh. I don't even like going in there anymore. (laughs) Which is why we're recording out in the living room right now. Um, (laughs) Part of it. We're we're in the comfort of our couch. Yes. Um, So it's cool because basically, and this is something that is utilized in education called chunking, where especially for students reading text, um, you know, when they're given a really large amount of text as teachers you chunk the material so that it's easier for them to memorize it just like with the books as jason was saying you can chunk the books by different genres so that you know if you're looking for a um comic book you're not searching all 100 books you already have a section on comics and then you can find that specific comic book um so these squirrels i think you had mentioned it you know the first experiment they did, they gave the, the nuts out sequ- sequentially. So first they gave them four almonds, then four hazelnuts, then four pecans, and then four walnuts. And that was super easy for them because it was all from the same starting location. So the squirrels knew, all right, this is my pile of almonds. This is my pile of hazelnuts. This is where it's buried. Um, but poor little squirrels, you know, when you change both the sequence of the nuts and the location where they're getting the nuts... Their brains are tiny. Their brains are tiny. Then, but still, if they can do that, I mean, rodents are smart. We yeah use lab mice and behavioral experiments all the time for that express reason. It's just cool that you can kind of then apply it to a squirrel and like it planning inadvertently planning for something. It's like another squirrel coming to steal her food. It's like they're not. It's not all in one like we think of in the fucking cartoons. All the squirrel and squirrel has all nuts in one tree. One spot, right? Um, if a different squirrel came and found that and stole them all, then hey, that squirrel would be well dead in the wintertime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, squirrel, you're SOL. <laughs> so, like both, like putting, it's like obviously they're gonna prioritize which ones they go to as they need them, but if one of those is taken away by a different squirrel or is lost for some reason in the environment, 
then they can go to their their next their next size. cache. Because I would nuts. I would assume they would hide different sizes of nut. Go, when it's time to go back and eat those, they would go to the, their the whatever the largest one is first. Or I don't really know. Prob- how. They probably would. Probably that's how foraging works. But <laughs> so, and then the big question they still have on this study is, um, you know, when the squirrels started to break down in this chunking method at the end, when you know everything was out of order. Um, one thing they weren't able to kind of track was, were the squirrels still able to locate their nut caches as well or not? So it is a big question of, you know, if how important is this chunking method? I kind of feel like it's probably going to be harder for the squirrel to find everything if it didn't chunk it than if it was able to. But, I mean, a squirrel still got to survive and apparently... They've got these methods to help them survive through the wintertime. Yeah. I like how the the authors of the paper suggest that it's just sometimes the nuts are further away, and so they don't take them to the right spot. So yep. they take them to a different, a different spot one. that they have, which energy. totally makes sense. I mean, sense. why would you want to waste a whole bunch of energy trying to run a walnut back to your walnut pile when you've got your almond pile right next to it and... Then you can continue searching for more nuts. Yeah, I mean, at some point when you're when a squirrel shoves all that food in its mouth and tries to carry it, there's got to be some type of movement penalty on that, right? Like, I don't, it's probably out there. I don't know, and I'm not gonna actually look it up. But. I'm gonna say probably. <laughs> but uh, you fill your mouth full of stuff, and it takes up a lot of volume. You have to even expend more energy and then move slower which might open up predation so i don't know there's probably a lot of different reasons probably it's it's probably more than mental capacity which is what they suggest mm-hmm. like it's it's it could be partially that but i don't think there's a way that that's the only reason um i i was also reading so i found their actual paper and i was reading through um i would have been i would have loved to take on the role of experimenter role Number one, uh, the first experimenter served as the feeder only, so they were the person that got to give the squirrel the nut the whole time. And I think that would just make me so happy every day to be able to just be like, oh, here's your nut, squirrel. Um, and then they had two other experimenters that kind of traded off. One of them um, would record the starting location using a handheld GPS um, navigator and then the third one had to actually record the location of where the squirrel um, stored its nut. I just wonder like So if this was my project, I would be experimental experimenter one? No, have, I would be experimenter one. Undergrads do the recording GPS re- Well, locations. I would be helping you be experimenter one because if you had this project, there's no way I wouldn't be helping <laughs> you on it. That is true. I mean, I help you with your parasites, but very if true. you were working with squirrels, I would be out there all the time. <laughs> be like, I'm sorry, work, I can't come in today. Cough, cough, I'm dead. <laughs> Call him dead. That's how you do it. So, it was, it's cool. And I was, again, so reading the paper to um, just reading kind of their introduction. Um, I didn't really, it's something I never really thought of before is you have so many of these um, hoarding animals um, 
that use the chunking method. So even, I thought this was cool, um, some songbirds, when they're trying to learn a song, they'll actually use the chunking method um, to kind of put together the whole song. So it was cool to think about how, you know, humans have studied chunking um, and how it helps us retain information. And we've got a whole bunch of animals out there that are also using the chunking method, helping them remember where they store food, remembering how to sing a song. Um, and, then, and then there's a whole bunch of other animals out there, rats and birds, that also use the chunking to kind of store their food too. Right. So. Cool stuff. Cool stuff, man. You found some good stuff. I do I do a good job with that. It did a good job. <laughs> but that is going to be the end of our episode. Thank you all for listening. Um, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send those to jason at hashtag sciencecast.com. We have our show notes, um, links to all these uh, news stories and articles where we can find them at www.hashtagsciencecast.com We have a Twitter and Facebook. Facebook, we're Hashtag Science. Uh, go there. We are, I'm starting to post some more stuff there. Slowly but surely. Uh, not so much on the Twitter, but we're getting there. Once, I, once, once we get back into the swing of things after this hell of a summer, uh, that Twitter account is at thesciencecast. You can follow follow us on both uh thank you to john middleton at uh u washington for the use of his music algorithms uh project to generate our theme song and with that thank you all again for listening again sorry about the delay in the episode but you know life first fun second (laughs) i mean hurricanes happen yeah it happens and everybody's okay. And yeah, you just got safety um, first. Yes. This, uh, the next episode will be up on time. Not in two weeks from this one, so that's good. <laughs> um, hell or high water, it'll come out. We've got some very interesting guest speakers coming on here pretty quick that are very secret right now. Do I get to know? I mean, eventually, but. You won't tell me in advance? I mean, I will. Okay. But not on, not not half live on the internet. I won't share it with you guys. I promise. <laughs> Very excited about some of the people that are coming onto the show. I'm glad we're finally getting more outreach into that. But thank you all for listening, Kellen. Thank you as always for being on the show, even though it's been a hell of a couple of episodes. <laughs> A hell of a couple episodes? Yeah. What do you mean? Just in general. Oh. It's lateness and yeah. people and yeah. whatnot. But uh Yeah, I'm sorry it's a short show, but uh You got you have fun on you have fun on the thing. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, it is fun. Um you guys can all congratulate our cat for catching her first bug and eating it too. I'm so proud of her. Yeah, she she, she might turn into a bug hunter yet. That's good. Cat shout out of the day. Good stuff. So thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Good night.